So this morning will be the last message um, concerning the Joshua generation. It's what I call Joshua generation, a time for a revival. And it's a, it's a time for uh, God's people to, to wake up. And, and you know, it, it's, it's seriously, in, in today's day and age and, and what, we're, what we're experiencing right now with the, uh, the not-so-peaceful protests and things that are taking place, you look at, you look at sin, right? This is what I look at, you know, and, and you could trace the vast majority of mankind's problems back to sin and our sin nature, even racism and things like that. That's just sin. That's mankind drawing distinctions and differences that don't exist in God's eyes. And it's just a sign of sin. It's all traced back to sin. That doesn't, I'm not trying to trivialize it. I'm just saying that that is the root of it. Just like with anybody that mistreats people or does things. And, and you look at these riots and all the things that have taken place, right, that, that are taking place. There's two nights of it here in Bakersfield. We were at stores last night, and we are going to run by Target. I think it was about 8 o'clock. Target was supposed to be open until 9.30, I think. There was two cars in the parking lot at Target last night. They had shut the store down because if you remember, one of the places they got hit in Minneapolis was a Target, right? And so I don't blame people for wanting to shut down. I didn't see anything uh, negative as far as out in Northwest Bakersfield and things like that. But you look at that and it's like, you know, it's fear once again, but it's warranted fear, I think, in, in this regard because you got a bunch of people acting a fool. I mean, just acting, they're just being stupid is what it is. They took what I would argue, and that whether or not you guys agree with me or not, I hope some of you at least would, they took a worthy cause. Police officers are never designed to be judge, jury, and executioner. Never. Never. Never is it acceptable. We live in America. That's not how that's done. And you've seen actually a response from even our local police chief who was very clear on his response to that. And I thought it was a really good response. He's like, hey, this is unacceptable. This is not our protocol. This is not how we do things. Again, sin. That a, a, another human being is capable of doing it. Now, I'm not saying I don't know all the facts. We don't know all the facts. There's going to be a lot of things that come out from all this. However... We have a choice on how to respond with those things. And my point for bringing that up with George Floyd is that you had probably something, an occurrence, a travesty, a tragic event take place where you probably would have united the entire country to say that was wrong. Then sin got involved. And then some weird stuff started happening. They started looting. They started rioting. They started doing all this other kind of stuff. And you're like, whoa. This was something that the entire nation could have stood behind and probably still does to, in a lot of ways. White, black, Asian, you name it, would have been behind this whole thing. But instead, Satan got involved. And now they're doing ungodly things and, and they're doing things that don't make any sense. You do realize, I, this is the amazing part, the people that they caught, they vandalized the police, the Fallen Police Memorial, downtown Bakersfield. They have two suspects identified. Hmm? Asian and Hispanic. 
a worthy cause, a worthy thing that, that should spark conversation has been hijacked by people that are just really looking for an opportunity to destroy stuff. And it's really unfortunate. It's not the way it's supposed to be. This is something that could have united us as a nation, could have united us as a people, at least here locally. And we all could have stand united and said, whoa, this needs to stop. And that needs to be looked into. And, you know, but here we are. Now it's this convoluted mess. And if you play the game, it's identity politics. It's blue lives versus black lives. It ain't about blue lives versus black lives. And I think you see that now. There's some people got involved in this and they're stirring the pot. There's reports of places in Minneapolis and things like that where people have been flown in to stir crowds up. There's an organization in America right now, Antifa. They don't care. They just want to cause problems. They've been reported already seen in Minneapolis. They're... They, they believe that they're the instigators in a lot of this stuff. You know, they're the same ones that cause problems in Northern California. So you look at that. My only point for bringing this up, and I'm not trying to put on my foil hat, although it's already on, okay? <laughs> my point of it is, is that stand behind what is right. Stick to your guns. Know what it is. The facts that are presented for you. Now, we have a tremendous opportunity in this time. So we slid right from Corona into this. Right here we are now with with this this hotbed of of, of problems in, in America. People, you can stand for Christ and for His mercy and His compassion, His love, but it's not so much in the words that we speak, but in the behavior that we demonstrate. Don't give in to all this stuff. Don't lose sight of what's really important. And I do believe, as was mentioned in in the prayer request today, I do believe. That the answer for all of this is Christ. The answer is for Jesus. I actually saw a guy uh, in in Walmart yesterday. I kind of smiled when he walked by me. You guys have probably seen these shirts, but uh, he he walked by me in Walmart and he had a shirt that says "Y'all need Jesus." And I thought, boy, that's a good shirt to wear today. You know what I mean? And I thought maybe we ought to get a bunch of them and wear them around every once in a while because that's a, there's there's truth in that. And uh, he's probably thinking, well, why is that guy smiling at me? You know, well, that's why I was smiling. It's like, man, I don't know if you know how true of a statement that is. Because he's the great equalizer. He's the one that could solve all these things. And so, you know, we have to understand that even in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, from one tragedy to another, don't play the, the identity politics and all the things that go along with that. We promote Jesus Christ yeah. and his restoration power. And, and, and the dynamic nature in which Jesus is, in which he can change lives. He can look at this and we can, we, can, we can lose sight of this and we can get caught up on living our everyday lives or having a political opinion and all the things that go along with that. I have shared with you guys over and over again, Fox News lies to you, so does CNN. They both lie. They both have agendas. You have to use your own brain. You have to look at a lot of different news sources to figure out exactly what's going on. Should at least play, pay attention to the local stuff so you can at least know what's going on in town. I do at least like our local news stations because they do at least try to report the news. At least I don't see too much liberal 
uh, uh, slant on them and those kind of things. And so it's important for us to pay attention to those things. And so it is for us a time for an awakening is, a, is an opportunity for us as God's people that, listen, even in this, in this turmoil, in this, in this, the, the, the place that we find ourselves in our country right now is a tremendous opportunity for the gospel message to be preached. Because there's a lot of broken people. There's a lot of people that are upset. And I would happen to have to agree with why they're upset. And, you know, we can't simply erase certain things that have gone on in this country like a lot of times we think we can. You know, I, I shared a Facebook post yesterday where, you know, whether you like it or not, there, has, there was in our country a systematic oppression of a certain people based upon the color of their skin. Okay? You don't just flip the switch and it's all better. When I see people that, that, that when, there, when there's public outcry, I see it from a pastor's perspective. I see it that somebody, the people are crying for help because they feel as though their voices cannot be heard. There are conversations that are had with certain sections of our society that you and I don't have. Explanations and preparations and things like that that would be so foreign for all of us. And you look at it and you go, well, what do you mean? Well, sometimes you just got to sit down and I think this is the key. Which is what Satan will prevent. Is you have to sit down and you have to get to know people. You have to spend time with people in order to share the gospel message with them. Understand their perspective. Understand where they come from. But there's a tremendous opportunity. Not that we gain the advantage that it helps us. But that the opportunity is to, to help promote the name of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that that is a reality of who we are, the nation that we are, and the, the, the tremendous opportunity that's been put before us. If you would, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. Now, Hezekiah is something that, in the, the scripture that we're going to be reading here is that sometimes God needs to bring us low in order to get our attention. You understand? Because it's just like anything else. Listen, if I, I'm telling you, we always use, and I've used it before, you say, how many of us when we were in high school had friends that got brand new cars, right? They destroyed them, pretty much. It was like 100% average. Right? Pretty much all of them destroyed it. I'm going to tell you, I've been supervising and managing long enough to tell you that that behavior and that response is not particular to just teenagers. That is also a response to adults. They do the same thing. If you simply hand adults something, they will destroy it. They will become entitled. They will become uh, spoiled, if you will. I've seen it play out over and over and over again. There are always exceptions to the rules, plus or minus. You know, there. You know, it's a bell curve, right? The vast majority fit right in the center, and then there's 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 um, outliers on each end of it. 
But I promise you and guarantee you, if you give somebody something and you give it to them long enough, they are entitled to that. And so when you take that away or when the gravy train ends, guess what happens? Disgruntled. Or when you are nice to somebody, they take advantage of it. You go, well, sometimes businessmen and managers, they can be so shrewd. That is one of the reasons they are shrewd. It is absolutely one of the reasons. Because you may not be the reason for somebody to have, for them to be shrewd, but somebody is. Because the nice gestures that have been done get taken advantage of. Nine times out of ten. The vast majority take advantage of it and become entitled to those things. It's in our nature. So you go, well, what do you mean? Well, how does that apply? Well, guess what? Sometimes those nice things and those blessings need to be taken away from us. Why? So we can appreciate what we have. Because we can fight and scratch. Here's the thing. is the truth, right? We can fight and scratch for that 50 cent raise or that dollar raise that we got last year. I mean, we fought and scratched for all I ever wanted. And in six months, what happens? I just don't get paid enough. I just don't make enough. There's just not enough money in the bank account. I make now you fought and scratched and all you needed was that 50 cent raise, right? You fought and scratched. All I need is that 50 cents. You got the 50 cents and within six months time, that 50 cents, it's like water in your hand, as the scripture says. It's gone. That's why I always say there's no magic dollar figure that you need to make to be happy. That you're chasing a ghost. You're chasing your own appetite and your own desire. There is no magic dollar amount. You'll never find it. Because if you make $400,000 a year, boy, it sure would be nice if I could make $500,000 a year. I only got this many cars. I need that many cars. You know, and we, we look at all this, we, we think that, that, that our happiness, even though we'll never say there's a, isn't a good Christian in this building today, isn't a good Baptist in this building to say, I would never sit down and say, I need to make this much, even though you all do it. We all do it. I would just be happy if I had this much. No, you wouldn't. Paul gives us a really good example, and he says, look, I've learned to be content no matter the circumstance that I find myself in, right? He's learned to be rich. He's learned to be poor. He's learned to have excess. He's learned to have nothing. But he's learned to be happy with what he has. The truth is, for us as humans, and it plays out as God's people throughout Scripture, we have to go through some tough times so that we can appreciate the good times. And sometimes what God has to do for us is he has to bring us low because you won't do it yourself. Now, he gives us in the New Testament the tools and the abilities, and I don't know if we'll get to those today. He gives us the tools and abilities to humble ourselves to keep our eyes focused on him and not on our riches and not on our wealth and not on the excess. But you must be your own worst critic. And guess what we have a hard time with? Being critical of ourselves. It's far easier to be critical of somebody else. 
really hard to be critical of ourselves. Why? Because that requires honesty. That requires actually stepping in front of a mirror and looking at yourself and going, I don't look like a supermodel. <laughs> right? Not if supermodel's your goal. I don't know if it is. But my point is, is you know, you, gotta, you have to do that with yourself. And the scripture teaches us, gives us that. And so 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Eliah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it. And it was called the Nehushtan. He, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and did not serve him. Now, ooh, wait a minute. So here you have Hezekiah. Hezekiah is cut of a different cloth, is he not? We can read over and over again. There's, you know, it, throughout Judah and Israel's history, there's, you'll have a whoop, good king, and you have three bad ones. And you'll have a good king, three bad ones. And that's not, I'm not asking if someone's going to come after me after, well, you know, it's actually one and then two. That's, that's not the point, okay? You understand what I'm saying? There's no consistency is what I'm getting at. You'll have one, and then you're like, wow, that's fantastic. Let's keep this rolling. Generally speaking, that's not how it happens. There's a good one, and then you get three bad ones after it. I wish I could tell you why that was the case other than give you a blanket explanation, sin. That's just the way it is. Hezekiah is a good one. Hezekiah is coming in in a valley, so to speak. It's not a good time. They're offering sacrifices to foreign gods. This is not good. This happens even in our present day and age as well. We have foreign gods that we set up. you know, And, and they're cleverly disguised. They're the gods of the peoples around us. You go, what do you mean? Well, money, wealth, those kind of things, those kind of idols. Uh, religious, false religious piety, right? Um, you know, in other words, we have the, the proper garments on. We look like it. We were just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Those kind of things. We do it in lots of different ways. Six ways of Sunday. I mean, you name it. We've done it, right? And we'll continue to do it. We just got to recognize those things. And so with Hezekiah and what we read here is that he is leading and is going to lead in, in verse 8. He says, He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and, and its territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. Verse 9, Now in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmanzer, king of Assyria, came up against Syria, Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, they captured it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which is the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Israel, was captured. The king of Israel carried away, carried Israel away into exile in Assyria, 
So he goes on to say all these things. And it says, the point of it is, is that you can look at Hezekiah. And Hezekiah took God's people through an awakening. He took them through, as it says there in chapter 18, what we're just reading. He broke down in the bronze serpent and made, uh, in verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. All these things. Now, here's an interesting part. He says, He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called the Nehushtan. What? That's a long time. Hezekiah says, no, we're getting rid of all this. And it's a summary. But it gives you a good nutshell and good, good explanation. He says, look, hey, whoa, whoa, we're, this isn't right. We're falling down before foreign gods. We're falling, we got all this weird stuff going on. And Hezekiah says, listen, we're not going to do this. We're not going to worship these things. We're not going to do all this. And he says, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah. The Asherah is a reoccurring theme amongst God's people. It is a reoccurring thing. Idol. It is absolutely reoccurring. It comes up over and over and over again in their history. They had a problem with it. They had a problem with serving foreign gods. They had a problem with intermingling and doing all these things. And we see, we like to think that, that because we can separate ourselves by name and by territory, and we've looked for certain things. I've heard it said, because of the way I dress, I look different than, than this group of people. Listen, folks, if you're grasping on the way you look and the way you dress as your difference maker between the, the peoples of the, of, of that surround you, you're in a sad state. You're looking at the wrong spot. God doesn't care what this is. He cares what's going on in here. You don't look no different. We don't look no different. We should look like the peoples that surround us physically, I guess is my point. We should be a representation of the community in which we live in, which we are. What makes you and I different is the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you and I can do to achieve that difference maker. The spirit of God is alive and well in us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What makes us different from the world is the blood of Jesus Christ. If we try to achieve that through physical means, we will come up empty handed every time. We have to remove the Asherah. We have to remove the foreign gods from our lives. We have to remove these. What are, what are some of, the, what are some of the, the things that we worship? There's a lot of us that like to say, hey, I'm a Democrat. I've been a Democrat for 25 years or 45 years. Or I'm a Republican. I've been a Republican for 45 years or whatever it is. Well, if you view yourself as more of a Republican than a child of God, that is an idol. First and foremost, you are a servant of the Most High God. There's nothing wrong with identifying with a political party. That's not what I'm telling you. But that cannot be your God. So when you see your nation in trouble and when we see things going on and when you see it in our own cities with these problems, does your heart break because you're a child of God? Or is it enraged because you're a conservative? 
I thought it was really interesting. Somebody said, I can't remember who it was, said, oh yeah, it's a bunch of liberals that are doing all this. That's too easy of a statement. Ain't a bunch of liberals, a bunch of lost people. A bunch of people full of sin. But when you play identity politics, you can simply label them as such. Don't do that. We don't need to be doing that. We serve God, and we have this opportunity here in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 18, when it says, as it says that King Hezekiah did right in the eyes of God, he led Judah through a revival and a cleansing. And we need to do a cleansing and a revival in our own lives and it, it, from time to time. We need to do it as a church as well. You know, there was a time in our history, you could say, you know, we, we, had, we have all these conferences that have gone on. And I'm not opposed to the conferences, but, but really, what have they done, right? And where, where have they gone? And well, in the state of California, they're pretty much non-existent anymore. Maybe it's time for revivals. Maybe it's time that we sit down and get fired up about serving God. Maybe it's the time that we, we sit down and start talking about how we can become dynamic Christians and good servants of God so that we can fire people up, so we can fire our next generation up, so that they'll go out and do the job that we couldn't do. But we can set the stage for them. We can understand that the, that the field is absolutely ripe for us to be able to do that. What do you mean? Coronavirus. Riots. All these things that are taking place. It's not going to get any better, folks. You do realize that, right? This will be the political movement and tactics from here on out. For the next 20 years, this is how it's going to look. It will do exactly what we're seeing. You'll go, what is all this? I don't understand all the fuss. I don't understand all this. That's how it's going to go. So we must navigate it properly. We must understand that when we get the opportunity to sit down with folks, that it is a time for a revival. It is a time to renew ourselves to Jesus Christ so that we don't fall into all this stuff. So that the gospel message maintains the center focus of our lives, hearts, and mission. Second Chronicles chapter 29 I like this in verse, verse 1. It says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. Verse 1. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the son of Zechariah, or daughter of Zechariah. He did right, in verse 2, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Step 1. So let me tell you about a revival. Listen, a, a, a preacher can stand up before you and we hear amens and it's good scripture, right? But it does us only, it only does us entertainment value when it feels good and we think about it. Real scripture inspires change. Real servanthood in, in, in serving Jesus Christ inspires us to want to change and to change. When God's put something before me, he says here in the first month, he opened the, sorry, yeah, he did write in the first year of his reign. In the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He brought in the priests and the Levites, and he, said, he, he started working. He started doing something about it, didn't he? 
Hezekiah was no bench warmer. Hezekiah took ownership of his piece of the pie. He took, his, he took ownership of what he could get done and established as a king and doing in that day and age. He says, look, it, I'm going to do this. Repair the doors. Call the Levites in. We'll go over all the things that he does. And so he says in verse 5, And he said to him, Listen to me, O Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness from the holy place. Verse 6, a key verse in this chapter says, For our fathers have been unfruitful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the, of the Lord and have turned their backs. Whoa. He's like, hey, it's time to stop all this. They turned their backs. Take all this stuff away. They've also shut the doors of the porch and put out, put out the lamps and not burned incense or offer burnt offerings in the, holy, in the holy place of the God of Israel. In other words, they were not performing their duties as it was prescribed to them. So he tells the, 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 the Levites, says, hey, you guys need to consecrate yourself. So before we just pick back up, no, 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 uh-uh, get yourself right first. Clean yourself up. Repent. Clean yourself up because you know what? We didn't do right. It shows a sad state of affairs for God's people when you look at that and go, look at the sacrifices weren't being offered. Incense was to be a continual thing. Incense was continually, was to be continually offered. Never to go out. If you do a little bit of studying, the, the burning of the incense is a representation of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God. So what you're saying is maybe that the Spirit wasn't in what they were doing? Absolutely. Why? Because God has no part in all that. Hey, he'll allow us to do it. He'll allow us to do it. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean he approves it. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't come at a cost. But sometimes we need to be brought low. We need to be brought into the valley to where we can, the only place we can do is look up and go, oh my gosh, where are we at? That's what Hezekiah represents. Verse 15 is they assembled their brothers, consecrated themselves. And went in to cleanse the house of the Lord according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord. So, oh boy, we got to, okay, let's get it right. Let's go in here. Let's clean this up. Verse 20, it says, Then Hezekiah arose early and assembled the princes of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. He got them all together, sacrificed and offered up atonement. And this is just my, my notes, sorry. Got them all together, sacrificed and offered up for atonement that for their father's sins and their sins. It says, 
No. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get this right. It goes on, and, and, and we see in, in chapter, in verse 25, it says, he, Then he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and harps and lyres, according to the command of David and God, uh, Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord and from his prophets. The Levites stood with musical instruments of David and the priests and with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave orders to offer up the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang and trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and the Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all those who were willing uh, brought burnt offerings. He goes on and, and covers all those things. And so you look at this in chapter 30, just to give you guys an overview. In chapter 30, he, he reinstitutes the Passover as well because they weren't, they weren't taking the Passover. A perpetual statute, by the way. They weren't doing, you know, the perpetual thing of burning incense and offering sacrifices all the things that they were supposed to be doing that were supposed to be done in perpetuity were no longer being done. In chapter 31, he destroys idols. Idols, yeah. Israel, Judah, you name them. They all had problems with idols. You go, thank God that's, a, that's, that's, that's an old-time problem. No, it ain't an old-time problem. That's a human problem. We have the same issue. God's look different. The ashram looks different. But we all have the same issues. It's, yours is a little bit different than mine and so on and so forth. We don't want to go into that. But the point of it is, is you look at all this and that there was a revival. There was a cleansing that took place with God's people. But it took in order for it. And you look at all these things. You look at, listen, it, there's so many things that over throughout the years that we've got caught up on and caught up in. Whether or not your brother's wearing the right shirt or the right attire, right? Whether or not we sing out of the right book or not. Whether or not the, the colors are the right colors on the walls or the carpet. None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. You belong to this group. I belong to that group. And I belong, you know what? I belong to Jesus Christ. That's our identity. Our identity is founded and rooted in, in the name of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. The divisions that exist and the divisions that crept up and have crept up and will continue to battle with because we're human are not God-derived. They're man-derived. So we must do our part to stay focused. Stay focused here in this assembly. You say, what do you mean? Well, brother so-and-so didn't hug me today, so I, you know, I don't think he likes me very much. Or projecting some kind of image against your brother. Say, well, I don't think he likes me. 
You don't even know. But we do those kind of things. We have the opportunity in today's day and age. You look at, hey, listen, you look at the world with COVID-19, right? And our, even our local community. And then now you have with the riots and the, and the, the not-so-peaceful protests that are going on. And if you look at just those things, the world around us is burning, <laughs> right? You look at it and go, oh my gosh, it's the prime opportunity for us to stay focused. And it's a prime opportunity for us to get rid of some of those idols and some of those things in our lives. And it's a prime opportunity for us to stay focused on building the house of God. What do you mean? By preaching the gospel, by sharing the gospel with people, showing them who you are. Listen, there is... A magic thing that takes place, and I'll use that if you would allow me to use that term. You cannot restore somebody by the mere words that you say. But you can restore somebody with time, action, and love. That's how it's really done. That's how we win people to Christ, too. So we, we say, well, even from a preacher's perspective, you say, well, if I just preach it the right way, they're going to understand. No. But if they see the life that you live, if your consistency and your priorities of putting God first, and your life is consistent with what the Scripture teaches, with both triumphs and failures, people will see that. But if we only project success, and if we only project, I never sin, I never have a problem. The first time that you mess up, your witness is shot. Because you projected a false image. An image that is not real. But if you're honest in your approach to God, and if you're honest... In your service to him. In other words, listen, you don't have all the answers. But if, hey, listen, if you project your, listen, there's no mistaking in this, okay? If you project yourself as having all the answers, the second you don't have all the answers, guess what happens? They move on to the next person. Because they just stumped you. But if you're honest, I'll have all the answers, but I can give you this. People will respect that. But we have the opportunity, a tremendous opportunity set before us to not to set aside all those things that, that have caused division and caused problems within our own lives. Remove those idols and all those things that are out there. Set those things aside and, 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 and rest upon and consecrate ourselves as he did with the Levites there. And consecrate yourselves so that you can properly worship God so that we can stay focused on what's really right and important and that's the promoting of god's name jesus christ's name and his gospel message not our own he can restore he can cause a revival in all of our lives and i pray that there's a revival in all of your hearts in all of your minds and in your families and even in our assembly so that we can be revived to serve god the way that he would have us to do Remove ourselves from the filters of life and from the, the filters of, 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 the, of our past so that we can properly serve him. But we also must understand, in order to do that, 
we must be willing to go to work and do the things that are necessary. It must be more. Listen, it must, the, the revival message in the series of these three messages, they must become more than words that I have spoken in, 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 in what I would call in an inspirational way, okay? It must be more than inspiration. It must drive change in our lives. It must drive us to say, no, I look at things differently. I do things differently. I put, I'm willing to put in the work to serve God. I'm willing to put my hammer and nail to the, to the church doors, metaphorically and physically speaking, right? I'm willing to, to, to clear out the clutter. The work of the revival. My job is to preach the revival. You all understand that, right? It's my job to preach the revival. God's laid that message upon my heart. It's your job to put the work in. That's the truth. Now, it doesn't mean I don't come along and help. Obviously, I'm going to be a part of it. <laughs> but, but it's everybody else's job to put the work in. So we look for those opportunities to do that. Revival is one each and every day. It's, it's instituted and, and accomplished each and every day when we vow ourselves to live differently, to serve God differently, to, to take the things from the past that are good, take those with you. But the things that are bad, leave them behind. Leave them in the dust so that we can serve God in, a, in, in an enlivened way, in an impassioned way, in a way that is dynamic to those that see us, hear us, and spend time with us. That's all I got for this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you.